Hello and welcome to the Tough Love Podcast. This is episode 31 and we have a very special guest, Beth Cyberson, and she is the creator of a podcast called Unraveling Adoption. Welcome, Beth. We're so happy to have you today. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, Lauren and Glenna. It's great to be here. I love your show and I'm honored that you would want to talk to me. So thank you. Yes, of course. And we love that you are a different kind of voice. You are not an adoptee, but you are an adoptive parent. And that view is so important to hear. Um, So I'd love to just hear a little bit about your podcast and what inspired you to make your podcast. If you could maybe share a little bit about that. Yeah. So my son is 19 and we adopted him when he was seven months old from Japan. And he, it was his idea to start a podcast together. It used to be called Safe Home Podcast, but we changed the name recently. And uh, we started out with him on board, like as a co-host. And that's kind of how I envisioned it. I I wish it could still be that way. But he, um, several episodes in, had a, a relapse of his substance use. And it was no longer available to be on the pod. But he said, Mom, I want you to keep going. I want you to interview people or I want you to talk about relapse and talk about how hard it is for teens and adopted teens. And so I've just kept it going. And I'm hoping one day he'll be back with me. So it won't just be me up there because um, I always do want to prioritize adoptee voices. I know that that's really important to do. And but I appreciate you wanting to hear from the side of the adoptive parent, because that is, uh, you know, it's one of the voices in the constellation. And, uh, but I I always do try to prioritize um, my son's voice whenever possible. And also want your listeners to know that he has given me explicit permission. He really wants our story to be told and to help other families. So he's on board, even though he's not able to be with me. Yeah, thanks for naming that. I think that adoptive parents a lot of times have a bad rap because, well, unfortunately, a lot of times people adopt for the wrong reasons. Um, But then Mm -hmm. I find these, a lot of the clients I work with, these parents are incredible and would do anything, like anything for their adoptees. And I think those are the parents that voices need to be heard, need, there mm-hmm. needs to be a spotlight on them. They're not doing the savior thing. They're not doing the, we wanted to give you a better life and here's your better life story. They're doing the, I really wanted a kid. Mm-hmm. It didn't work out for me in these other ways. This is why I did it. And I'm showing up no matter what. Mm-hmm. Not the parents who are like, this is too much. I'm returning you to Russia or this is too much. I'm returning you to China, right? As some yeah, of the more right. recent unfoldings has come. So, but yeah, thank you. And so, Tell me a little bit about the the name change with the, your podcast. Yeah, so we originally made it Safe Home Podcast, and we st- uh, we talked about addiction, mental health, and adoption. It kind of we rotated between those subjects, and kind of they all popped in and out of each episode. But um, I it was hard to get traction because it was so spread out. You know, somebody might be interested in addiction but not adoption, and you know, so I was like, I got to focus this on a smaller group of people. And so I've been so passionate about the uh, adoption uh, world and just wanting to help other adoptive parents. I'm putting myself out there and getting, you know, some heat sometimes just because I'm an adoptive parent, but I want to get out there and help other adoptive parents know 
better than I did because I did a bunch of stuff wrong. So I'm not afraid to tell you guys all the stuff I did wrong. So other parents who have younger kids or who have time to change their behavior <laughs> can switch it up. And so we can be better for our kids. So I'm, I am super passionate about uh, advocating for adoptees and helping families be more um, adoptee focused and helping with the special unique needs that our adopted kids have. So then I, that's why I changed the name to Unraveling Adoption. So, so all of our episodes now deal with adoption, but of course, addiction and mental health will also show up in the space because that's kind of how adoption is. Sometimes there's a lot of that going on. So we, we touch on all those topics still, but under the umbrella of adoption. Um, I have a question. How, if you don't mind sharing, how old is your son now? He's 19. Okay, 19. And when did he begin starting to struggle with addiction and substance abuse? We found out about it when he was 15, but he was probably using for at least a year or maybe two years before that, but we didn't know. Uh, but at 15, he had a mental health crisis. And it was the next day the doctor called and said, hey, we did the blood work. And by the way, in addition to this mental health crisis, we found a whole bunch of drugs in your kid's system. And I'm like, what? I had no idea. I was one of those super naive moms like, no, not my son. He would never do that. And I, I just missed a whole bunch of signs and I, uh, I missed a bunch of stuff. So we were in freak out mode there for a while. <laughs> it, took, it took a while to get that figured out. So, and I thought, you know, he was in the hospital for about 10 days. I thought, okay, the hospital, it was a mental hospital, but I'm like, they're going to help him get his mental health up, up on board. And then also he'll have 10 days without drugs and he'll just come out and won't use drugs again. <laughs> wasn't that, wasn't that silly of me? Uh, yeah. So it's continued to be a, a huge struggle. He's still struggling today. Um, and he's had some times of sobriety and recovery. And then uh, I think the longest he's had so far is about a month um, since he was 15. So, but he comes in and out and uh, he's been dipping in and out more frequently lately, which I believe is a good sign. He just has to go do a little more research and go, oh yeah, that's why I don't do that anymore. Cause this is, you know, getting me nowhere. And then he comes back out of it, but it's very difficult um, because it's self-medicating. He's depressed and anxious and he's, his primary drug of choice is cannabis in extremely large quantities it's extremely dangerous. I have a lot of people telling me, oh, Beth, it's just weed, whatever. Just let him have the weed. But uh, it's he dabs and or in the past he has and done those really high concentrated tinctures and stuff like 95 percent THC. And he's gone into psychosis several times, which is terrifying. So he's uh, trying now to do harm reduction and he he's trying to only smoke flour which is like the rolled joints you know the old-fashioned way and because it's not nearly as potent and he's trying to stay under a certain number of grams and that kind of thing because he does not want to go into psychosis and stay there he understands how dangerous that is so so that's kind of what we're dealing with now it's it's really been a huge struggle and he's uh, so cannabis has been on board the whole time alcohol has also been in there psychedelics have been a major problem um I don't, I always like to let people know, did you know you could da uh, vape psychedelics? You can vape, um, DMT is a extremely strong psychedelic. You know, like if you take LSD or mushrooms or something, it's like an eight hour long thing. You have to like save a whole day. Well, DMT will go up and down in about 20 minutes. 
but it is um, mind altering. It's, it's very dangerous. And I had no idea, but these kids, you know, I think even some parents don't know you can vape cannabis, but the kids are vaping cannabis at school. My son, his first time he tried cannabis was in science class. So the kids are very uh, savvy and sneaky and um, they think about it a lot. They, <laughs> they figure out how to get around uh, the people in charge and it's not that hard to hide it nowadays with the vaping because you don't get the smoke and the smell so much. They flavor it like cotton candy or whatever. So it's easy to get it past us. So. And the other thing he's been struggling with it in the past is cough medicine. And I also like to let parents and whoever's listening know that cough medicine, like Corsetin, Dimetap, anything with DM in it has a, a D, golly, DXM, I think is what it's called. Uh, and it is fatal if you take too much. And my son has taken like 32 at a time, 32 Corsetin, like a whole box and almost died three times. So uh, I always encourage people with preteens or teens or anyone struggling with substances to lock all of it away, all that over-the-counter medicine, all of your old dental uh, Vicodins and stuff, just lock it all up because our kids go finding it and literally they can just take a whole box and die. It's really scary. Yeah, it definitely is scary. And there's definitely at least in our in my neck of the woods in Boulder and Denver, this increase of fentanyl. Oh, yes. And kids sort of like casually in therapy mentioning it like it's cool. Mm. And I'm like, oh, I didn't realize heroin was cool to your generation because essentially they're very similar. And they're like, wait, what? Heroin? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, isn't that yeah. wild? And so it's even stronger than heroin. Oh, way stronger. And I yeah. think just having these conversations, being on, upfront, trying to mm-hmm. not come from a place of fear, but education, I yes. think is like the best approach. Like, don't panic. I mean, maybe panic if you find out your kids are doing all these things, probably yeah. more panic then. But even then, like, no, no, no there are resources there's education yeah. like there's a lot of things out there and so when we come from fear i think also that comes from that's when we are reactive right that's yes. when we're like what are you doing oh my god you're gonna ruin your life Da-da-da-da. and we go like off yeah. the rails versus being like okay this is really scary what are our options here and how do i show up as the grounded, loving, caring adult mm-hmm. versus the controlling helicopter mm-hmm. fear-mongering parent. I think those are very important. Oh, definitely. I totally agree with you. And it takes practice to stay calm when you find out whatever your kid has just been doing. It takes so much uh, mindfulness and deep breaths and take a moment and pause. And um, it took me a long time to learn that, but I've, I've got that down pretty good. He, it's, it'd be hard for him to get me in freak out mode now. But it's super important. And also, Joey, uh, our our earliest episodes, we took one episode at a time and talked about different substances. So we have a whole episode about cough medicine, a whole episode about cannabis, one about psychedelics, one about, uh, uh, let's see, alcohol. Uh, And he tells the parents and school, whoever wants to listen, grownups or whatever, what the kids are calling it, where are they getting it? Why are they using it? What, how are they using it? What does it look like? You know, he kind of spills all the beans so we can become more educated. Now we really want to help uh, other parents to be more on top of it than I was. So 
and with not like uh, being a detective, but just being, huh, what's this? You know, just like, huh, you want to talk about this? <laughs> and my son also is extremely sensitive to shaming because um, I think you guys as adoptees might understand that, that uh, his core wound is built around shame and not being wanted and not feeling you know worthy of anything. And so if I add shame onto him, it'll send him deeper into his substances. He'll be like, Oh God, there's more for me to, to uh, numb out from. So getting out of uh, shaming, shaming them for whatever they're using and getting into curiosity mode and go, God, he must be really hurting. If he needs to be using a whole box of Coraceden, what the hell's going on? You know, let me figure that out and figure out what is in, why is he in so much pain that he feels like that's his only option. And at this point, does he attribute his addiction and addictive behaviors to being adopted or are there other pieces? There's a couple pieces, but I believe he and I both believe that his relinquishment trauma is his primary reason he's using. It's quite possible that one or both of his birth parents have, um, addiction issues, you know, there's not like an addiction gene, but there's a kind of propensity or intergenerational trauma that can pass down. So I'll bet you he got a little head start with that. I'm going to guess because of the the way he uses substances, he doesn't just casually try things. He's like, give me the biggest amount you have. Give me the, (laughs) he's like all in. So, um, but I also divorced his dad when he was four and I did not know anything about adoption trauma. And so the divorce was hard. It'd be hard on any kid, but then add on being an adoptee and I didn't handle it very well. And so that created more trouble. And then he's also Japanese. His, his adoptive dad is also Japanese. So he wasn't completely like the only Japanese in the world, but, but his school was in a pretty well-to-do white neighborhood and he got teased every single day of his school career in Huntington Beach, California. There are a bunch of racists down there. It's horrible. And I didn't know it because again, these are the things I wish I had done differently. I'm white and I had no idea people would tease people for being Asian. I, I mean, like literally I had no idea. That's my white privilege, not even thinking about it. So now I know, and I try to kind of watch for it, but he didn't feel like he could tell me or he didn't maybe try to tell me. And I was like, no, 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 you know? And so that was really, really destructive, you know, over time to, to be seen as all they saw him was as Asian and to be teased and bullied that. So all of those things combined, but I think the biggest chunk is his core wound that causes him to not want to be here. Like literally he wants to be somewhere else. Yeah, I, I can definitely relate to that and sort of this like unconscious part of like knowing and not knowing I don't belong, like feeling like I should belong, but mm-hmm. then this other piece of not belonging and then being so sensitive to rejection, so sensitive to shame. If I do anything wrong, I go into like, I'm the worst person in the world. I suck. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and I, and I, so I really, I really, really understand that. Um, and it's not, it's not easy to deal with even like, even if, well, living in Boulder, there's a lot of understanding about emotions and there's a lot of understanding about, um, epigenetics and intergenerational Mm -hmm. trauma and all of these pieces. And yet, even though I know all these things at 
times I still spiral out. And I just want to name that even with massive amounts of healing, like I'm a decade deep and Mm -hmm. I still deal with this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that this is sort of a forever thing, but the progress is I can see it for what it is. And I, Mm -hmm. you know, the frequency and duration is smaller. And so that's how Mm -hmm. I track my progress, which I found really helpful. Um, So I, so I have a question regarding, I know you do like, you have educational resources, you have a book club. Um, I was wondering if you could speak to those that you do. Yeah, sure. I'm very proud of the group that I've created because I think it really fills a need. It's called Aptitude, a support group for adoptive parents facing adoptions challenges. So this is not the, you know, rainbows and butterflies kind of adoptive parent support group. You know, you see them out there like, adoption celebration, or adoption carnival, or I, I don't know what, but it's not like that. It's not like that at all. These are parents that pr- probably are struggling with their kids. Their kids are like my son struggling with addiction or mental health issues, or they got little kids struggling with uh, what the doctors are calling RAD, uh, reactive attachment disorder, which I call adoption trauma. And, um, or they have kids that are estranged, adult, you know, adults that have estranged from them, or these are the parents that are struggling and are needing other parents to talk to and needing some guidance. Cause I, a lot of us didn't get any education regarding adoption trauma or how to help our kids differently than a regular kid. You know, they just said, here you go. And, you know, I adopted from Japan. They, they didn't give me anything uh, to go off of. Sometimes I suppose if you adopt from an agency or something, they might give you classes or things that I, which I completely encourage people to take advantage of, but some of us just got zero. And so we're trying to catch up. And so I offer my parents, we have a private Facebook group. We have a book club. We're uh, reading Anne Heffron's book right now. You don't look adopted, which is amazing. We, we just finished the primal wound together. And we also have a monthly speaker series. So I usually bring in adoptees, sometimes adoptive parents and um, occasionally a birth parent. And they just talk, you know, for like 45 minutes about their life. And then we ask them questions. So I'm so grateful for these adoptees that are willing to come into a room full of adoptive parents (laughs) asking them questions. But it's such a great opportunity for parents to go, well, what did it feel like when you were 12 and your mom said this or that? Or, you know, what should I do differently? I'm worried about my kid or whatever. You know, if you have a younger kid or a, a teen or something, to be able to talk to an adult adoptee that's worked through some of their stuff and can tell you what it feels like. I think I think that's the best thing we, we parents can do is go listen to adult adoptees. So I make that available. And there's one more thing is a database I've created uh, with I think there's almost 300 things in there right now, support groups and books and videos and articles and all sorts of things related to things that adoptive parents need to know. So it's kind of curated by me, things that I really think I would have been good when my kid was younger. I kind of have created the group I wish I had had when my son was a lot younger before everything fell apart. So maybe it will help some other people not fall apart quite so bad or maybe not fall apart at all I don't know we'll see (laughs) yeah wow that's so wonderful thank you thank you for that what a gift for parents Mm -hmm. to have that and that's like right up our alley Glenn and I have done a number of panels and speaking and just sharing our information and we're pretty much open books for the most part 
Um, and so I love that you do that and offer that for, for the community. Um, yeah, I'm just like thinking of, I'd love to have this on my website to help parents like guide them yeah. to you and yeah. your group and all that. I think that's so important. The primal wound definitely changed my life, definitely gave mm -hmm. me an outlook that I really mm -hmm. needed, um, yeah. words that I knew but didn't know. <laughs> yeah, putting so, it all together. And, and it's really great to read it with other adoptive parents and we're because it's a tough pill to swallow reading that book as an adoptive parent you're like oh crap what did I do you know mm -hmm. like oh no I thought I was doing a good thing and I guess it's not a good thing and oh no so to be reading it in community and we're all you know just supporting each other and going oof you know this is tough but so important and so validating each other's experience and um and helping you know sometimes people say oh my kid had that maybe you could try this you know whatever disorder or whatever doctors have said they have you know we can share information and it's been really really good and I think a book like that the primal wound or these kind of tough things to read are best done in community because I've talked to so many people that say yeah I started the primal wound and then I threw it away <laughs> or you know I tried to read it and uh I was so overwhelmed so I try to create spaces where people can dig through this in um in an intentional way and with the support they need to get through it that's beautiful so important we work a lot with the heritage camps for adoptive families i don't know if yeah. you know them I about that. um they're amazing and you know when you go to camp you meet all these families and a lot like most of them are white parents not all but definitely a majority with internationally adopted kids Mm -hmm. And it's so awesome to see these blended families because it really, I think, I think, you know, of the people I've spoken with, it lets them see like, oh, I'm not alone and I'm not the only one. And whether it's right or wrong is a different conversation to have. Um, but because we have done this already and there's really yeah. no takesy backsies, if That's you're right. a decent human being, um, then it's really great to have these things like, okay, we did this. This is a decision we yeah. made. And yeah. now how do we move forward? What does this yeah. look like? And that makes me sad. I have a lot of parents too, who are like, I can't read it. It's too intense. And I'm like, you need to read it and you need to learn how to regulate through it. So let's do yeah. that. Let's like really raise the bar here, people. Yeah. Um, as hard as it is to read, imagine living that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Look into your adoptee's eyes and know we need yeah. you to understand yeah. this. We need this. That's the Please. thing they're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. So what would you say, like, what would your advice be to parents who are struggling um, with their kids, struggling with addiction? Like what would your one, two nuggets be for their ears? Okay, so um, let's see. First, stay out of freak out mode if at all possible. So that would probably involve you getting therapy, getting a, I have an amazing life coach. Her name is Heather Ross. She helped me so much. Um, she also had a daughter struggling with addiction and she knows how this works and helped me so much um, kind of to put my own oxygen mask on first. So I could be present for him. And then uh, the second thing I would say is to look into the CRAFT method. It's an acronym for Community Reinforcement and Family Training. But if you just Google CRAFT method, it'll show up. 
And it's an amazing tool to help people with any addicted loved one. It could be a child or a sibling or a, a parent or a spouse or whatever. Um, but it is, um, it helps to, the main gist of it is that you maintain a positive connection with the addicted person, no matter what. So my son is rarely sober lately. Like we took him out for dinner and he was high the whole time, but we still took him out for dinner. We didn't chide him for being high. He was still delightful. He's kind of delightful when he's high. <laughs> so he wasn't like mean or something. If he was mean, I wouldn't hang out with him, but it, we maintain a positive connection. That's the most important thing is our connection, more important than sobriety. So that's the craft method. It's, it's kind of understanding why they're doing the behaviors they're doing. It's called the uh, behaviors make sense. What is drawing him into that and kind of giving lots of empathy and compassion and just whenever possible, maintaining a positive connection. Like uh, my son rarely even like gets out of bed lately. He's just depressed and smoking weed all day. So he just like is doing very, very little. So when he goes out the door, out of his front door for five minutes, I praise him as if he just won an Oscar or something like, oh my gosh, Joy, I am. And I'm not even joking or like putting it on. I'm like, I am so proud of you. It takes so much energy to get out that door. I understand. And I am proud of you. You're taking care of yourself, you know? And so it doesn't have to be huge, giant things, just connecting and validating their pain and their experience and just knowing that you're there for them. So when they're ready to uh, go into recovery, go into rehab, go get treatment or whatever, you're still there. I don't change when he's in recovery or when he's not. I'm the same. So he doesn't have to come crawling back with his tail between his legs saying, okay, I need help. And it's right here. We're always, we're always right here together. So that's the craft method. I highly recommend it. There's a book called Beyond Addiction that is a kind of explains that craft method. They have a workbook too. Um, that stuff changed our lives. And I, I really believe in many ways has saved his life. Thank you. Those are really important and great little nuggets for sure. I'm just taking notes of this. We should definitely put those. We'll put those in the in the show notes yeah. um, mm -hmm. and, a, and a link to your website. Um, let's see. Is there anything else that you feel is just really important to share? Like things you haven't said that feel like they want to be spoken? Let's see. Um, I... I don't think so. Well, I just wanted to share that the aptitude group I have is free. It's open right. to any adoptive or foster or kinship parent. Um, and you have to fill out this little form just so I know that you're an adoptive parent. Um, so, but that's all and it's free. I am almost done with a coaching certificate. So I'm looking forward to eventually coaching adoptive parents and families. Mm. And my dream is someday to have groups with my son, my, my, my dream is to have a group of teen adoptees and a group of adoptive parents of those teens. You know, I could work with the parents, Joey could talk to the teens and we come together and it can be this magical thing where people learn and grow together. So I'm looking forward to doing that in midsummer. So that's coming around the corner. So. Wonderful. Glenna, do you have any questions before we wrap up? Um, you know, I feel like if I started asking questions, I would have a hard time stopping. So <laughs> I, uh, I'm just, I'm very grateful for you to come on and to share your story. Um, yeah, I'm just, 
I'm blown away. And I always just, it's amazing how much we learn mm. every single time someone comes on and talks, like just opens up so many perspectives. Um, so I just appreciate you for speaking openly. Oh, thank you. I feel the same way every time I listen to your podcast or so many other podcasts or go to a webinar or something. There's just so much to learn. And I'm just like a sponge, just like, tell me, tell me, tell me what to do. Tell me how to be, you know, I just want to be the best I can be for, for my son. I just want to help him as much as I can to pull himself out and to be in a healthier place. And I'll just, I'm like those parents that you see at the camps, I'll do anything. I will do anything to help my son. And so much so that it's overflowing because there's not very much I can help my son with right now. I'm doing the things that I can, but most of it's on him now, especially that he's an adult. So I have all this energy left. So I'm pushing it out into the world and trying to help as many adult adoptive parents as I can. So that is just so important. It's so important and so wonderful. And all we can do is take care of us right at this point. Mm -hmm. That's really all we can do. And when we realize that this very like all non oriented, like when we realize that that's when we really have our power back. And And a lot of the things that our kids do are triggering what our own wounds are. Yes. You know, I don't have an adoption wound, but I have a attachment wound from my parents. Mm-hmm. I have a bunch of wounds, you know, throughout my life. And Joey's things kind of bounce across my, my issues. And if I can work on my issues, that lessens the stress level of everybody. So it, parents, work on your own stuff. <laughs> Amen. Yes. Really important. We all need to work on our own stuff. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. I so appreciate your time and just like what you're doing. You're, you know, I can just see this really being a big impact and I wish you well with all of your adventures and all of the pieces um, that you're doing. So thank you so much. Thank you both very much. Thank you so much.